Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello listeners, welcome to the second edition of the Football History Podcast. My name is Nick Hart. Joining me on the show today is Neil Fissler. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hello Nick, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm looking forward to the conversation that we're about to um, run for, for the listeners. This was a really interesting conversation that Neil and I had the other day with two authors who have produced a fantastic book called The Beautiful History, which is it's an interesting concept, Neil. It links the history of the country with um, associations with football badges is a really interesting idea. Yeah. What's not to like about it. Yeah. You've got history and you've got football. So you marry the two together and you've got a sensational book, brilliant book. It's very well illustrated. It's absolutely packed full of history facts and it ties in football badges and it, yeah, well, it makes you think, I think that we, that you don't often think about, no, where no. your club's badge came from. Or its place in the national story. I think that's what I really took out of the, the book. So anyway, let's let's run the conversation. It's with the authors, Martin Routledge and historian Elspeth Wills. Um, we'll run the conversation now, and then Neil and I will be back after that. So hello and welcome to Elspeth Wills, who I understand is a historian by trade, Elspeth. Welcome that's to the right. show. Many years ago. Many years ago. Well, you're still clearly, clearly uh, on your game here, that's for sure. And we're also speaking to author Martin Routledge. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you. Thank you. Both um, have been um, involved in a, a fantastic production. I, I, I can't praise this book highly enough, listeners, because it really is. I, I called it a work of art on the on the uh, social media earlier on, Martin, it's a kind of a book stroke work of art in many respects. Would you would you agree with that take? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it was set out to be something very very visual. So, um, one person who isn't here is the the illustrator Adam Forster, who's done a, a brilliant job 
bringing to life the kind mm. of visions and the ideas that myself and Elspeth had. So, yeah. and we wanted it to just to be, yeah, just immerse yourself in it and something that she's really visual and wanted to have feature football club badges, but then do them in such a different, more unusual way. People would stop, look at it, go, what the, what, what's going on with that? And, tr- and then from there branch out into the history. So, you know, the, the very first, spread that we had the idea for was Colchester because you see the Colchester badge and uh, and I'm in Essex and you know so it's an Essex Essex team but um you've got the eagle and then you ask people what does that eagle represent and then you 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 don't know so you explain that the kind of the Roman connections and then that suddenly has got your real nice way in with you know the comparisons between um the, the stadium that the Romans had and the, the current football stadium as well. And you've got, yeah, it's just that very obvious connection with, with the past. And then we've got uh, Boudicca and we've got the, the kind of stories around it. So what starts with the simple icon of a football badge suddenly leads you into this, into this world of, of, of historical kind of events and quirky stories that we've, we thought was a really interesting kind of way to go. I think it's a, I mean, it's a wonderful concept, Elspeth, to try and tell the history of our country via the medium of football badges. I mean, it actually begins three hundred and thirty million years ago, I think, with the yeah. with the the volcanic rock. Which I think is, <laughs> took me Dumbarton back. Dumbarton United, I think. Yeah. Dumbarton FC. Apparently, it features yeah. um, an elephant, which is representative of an elephant shaped rock off the. Yeah. Is it off I'm the coast of Scotland? I, I, um, from the... Being the Swedian, about half an hour's drive from Glasgow, I knew it well. As, yeah. all, as I was saying, when Martin first approached me with the concept, yeah. I thought there's no way that you can cover all the big events in British history, much <laughs> less some of the smaller ones. And one wet Sunday, I sat down to see if it could be done. And it can. With <laughs> difficult. Well, you've done it. You've done it. <laughs> we've done it. You know, we've had to troll some pretty small clubs. Uh, the big ones are there, but um, the football fans will find both the Manchesters, Liverpool, Everton, whoever. Um, but they will also, if you're a genuine football supporter, you will f- might find your club. I mean, the beauty of it is, I mean, I've just moved along a couple of hundred million years to, to Whitby Town, which features... Yeah, the, that's uh, a classic case yeah. in point. What is that? that that's, that's a tiny little prehistoric creature. I can never remember the name. It's like a swirl. I, I can never remember yeah. the name they're, they're the name. They're like snails almost. And that, that, that yeah, features the on the... Yeah, of the Ammonites, yeah. Anemonites. Yeah. That's the word. And that features on the badge of Whitby Town FC. So. Yeah, because the Yorkshire coast is very famous for its ammonites. And the artwork is 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 fantastic, Martin. I mean, you mentioned was it Adam that, that did this artwork. I mean, I, I think the, the concept is beautiful and the artwork is beautiful. It really does go hand in hand. And it's an unusual um, idea. Did What gave you the idea to try and come up with a, a history book teamed with football? Was, a, was, was it... Um, something you've wanted to do for a long time? It was, I mean, it, it just came from the beautiful badge, you know, the uh, previous book that me and Elspeth worked on together. Mm. That that was, um, okay, showing historic badges or, and up to the artwork of, of current day of some badges. But all of those have, all, those, all of those badges have a story to tell. A lot of them talk about the, um, an event in the town or a, or a 
the, the what the town is famous for, such as as Burton and the the Brewers. Yeah, and that's a the, a team that we featured in the new book because what's important in Burton is the beer the beer industry. So it's all these things which have employed people in the past, you know, that are so important to the town, which are still featured on badges now on a lot of badges. So that gives you that that window into the history of the town, and then it's. That was the it also yeah. gives you a window into the state of water at the time, the fact that people drank beer because water was unsafe. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, you can take it in all sorts of directions. Neil, you wanted to ask a question? Yeah, water is completely unsafe. I'll give you that. that yeah, but that's why I don't drink it. <laughs> 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 yeah, but when I was skimming through the PDF earlier on, I noticed you had teams like Haywards Heath Town, teams that I remember covering from my junior newspaper days. Right. You were on the Mid-Sussex Times. What was the <laughs> hardest non-league club to research and what was the most difficult part of history to find a connection with a football club with? I was saying earlier the most difficult one was, oddly enough, Queen Elizabeth I. The Virgin Queen, you would have thought she would have been on lots of football badges, but no. And so we resorted to Birmingham City because the very famous, what's known as the Armada portraits of her, which she copied so that she could send them to her mates and say what a fantastic person she was. <laughs> she is clutching a globe. And Birmingham City, if I remember rightly, some years ago, the owner wanted to position the club as being a bit more international. So he developed a badge with a couple of globes, I think, on it. Uh, so that made the link, because the only other one I could come across, and that really did slightly bother me, was the Belfast Protestant <laughs> team is at Linford. Yeah, I saw that link, Elspeth. I, I didn't yeah. realise they had a link. I was to... conscious that we needed something from Northern Ireland. Yeah. And it's linked with Windsor Castle, um, which is, as I say, very Protestant. Um, but it makes quite... It's a nice badge, actually. I like it. <laughs> you, I suppose it's one of the problems of this kind of thing. You veer in, especially with the Irish question, perhaps you veer into the political quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we tried to avoid. I yeah. mean, the Scottish teams were a bit easier because Celtic and Hibernian, I guess. Hibs and uh, I think it's Duns United were all set up by priests yeah. to get young boys off the street and out the pub. Uh, and they all started off with pretty, you know, shamrocks and that sort of thing in their badge. But as they wanted to develop a wider non-sectarian audience, they watered down the badge. So Hibs, for example, has got a ship for Leith, which is the part of Edinburgh they come from. It's got Edinburgh Castle. It still has... Now, it's something Irish. I can't remember if it's a shamrock or a... They have a, they have a harp on there. Also, a harp, yeah. Yep. And, of course, the green, right. and, green and white. But, the, the cars, you know, yeah. you can see how they're yeah. broadening and moving away from Catholic roots. I mean, Martin, I mean, you, 
we say you, you, it's easy to touch on the political, and then to some extent, I suppose you can't really avoid. It. I'm just looking at East Thurrock United's badge here, which I I've never looked at it before actually, but it actually features a rebellious Essex peasant, doesn't it? it, it yeah, um, another member of the What Tyler Gang would that be? I don't know. The What Tyler Gang, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the nice thing is actually bringing in badges of, of smaller clubs that people wouldn't normally yeah. see or be aware of. And it's 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 bringing them all together because they're all part of the story. Yeah. So yeah, the big clubs, but then, you know, a big, you know, a lot of the fun is the, the smaller clubs. And like you say, uh, Haywards Heath or... Um, Alfred's Hemel, 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 like... Hemel Hempstead featuring Henry VIII. You've got, you've got some... Just quirky interpretations, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, stories that people wouldn't be aware of. Your, your book actually made me laugh out loud, and, and you, Elspeth. I wouldn't have thought you'd get many laughs so, so much <laughs> as you might, but I did get a laugh because I read this on the morning, the Monday morning after the infamous England won, Italy won, oh, yes. shootout. And I came across William of Malmesbury writing in 1140 about the eve of the Battle of Hastings, yep. where he says the courageous leaders of both sides mutually prepared for battle, each according to his national custom. The English, Neil, English passed the night without sleep, drink, drinking and singing. <laughs> the Normans, <laughs> Normans passed the night confessing their sins. Um, <laughs> And we lost that one, I think, Elspeth, as well, didn't we? I think I hadn't made that connection, but yes. I had to laugh at that. I thought I'd, I'd, I didn't put that out because I, I was privy to the PDF and I thought I don't want to break your copyright or anything. So I didn't. It just made me privately laugh. But there's there's lots of little moments in, in the book which I just think are fantastic. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a real um, work of, as I've said, art. How long did it take you to put together, Martin? How long does, has, have you been working on this it's for? It's probably been a couple of years, to be honest. So from from the beautiful badge getting out there, we had kind of a, a year or so. And then, like I said, the, just at the back of my mind was was plotting these events. And then it was about two years, really, from mm-hmm. myself and Elizabeth looking at three, probably 300 potential dates that we wanted to plot, looking yeah. at... Yeah football clubs we wanted to involve and feature and then looking for a, an illustrator which we thought was the right person to to bring it all alive so that was a, a process in itself and then we, we got hold of Adam and thought he's the man and he, he's done a, he's done a brilliant job and then I mean there's about 70 full spreads of of full bleed images you know each one like you say is a, an amazing piece of artwork hmm. but each one was kind of you know, you've got a badge and you've got an event and it's coming up with the idea of how you combine the two in, a, in an interesting, engaging, kind of quirky way. And that's where I think Martin has actually been rather modest. It was his art direction, or whatever you like to call it, that brought the two together. I mean, I mean, the, you could come up with some ideas as to how you might illustrate a particular story, but yeah. it was Martin who had the vision to then say to Adam, take that story. I mean, the imagery, I mean, run, we've, we've mentioned Dumbarton and its 300 million year old um, allusion to a, to, to a volcanic rock. But the, the history runs up pretty much to, to modern times through the Industrial Revolution, the yep. Victorian times, the, the, the First and Second World Wars, and then the, the, the post um, war kind of uh, reconstruction with new towns, Stevenage, I saw, um, Springsteen, yep. as I was flicking through it earlier on. 
Um, it's I, I'm actually speaking as a previous customer, Martin and Elspeth. I bought your works before, so I, 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 mentioned, <laughs> I just mentioned off off air that um, I'd actually bought the beautiful badge for as a present for my nephew. Yep, and that's a that's a fantastic book too, and that that's the probably more the history of the badges themselves, Martin. Would it you is, say? Yeah. 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 So, and 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 coming back to you mentioned buying it for your, your your nephew. I mean, a big part of this and and the previous book is you know from myself as a football fan and a, a football nut when I was a, a kid and as a teenager. And I'd I'd read any 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 book as long as it had some element of football in it. And football to me, you learn about geography because of teams dotted around. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, as a <laughs> an art student learn about architecture and you know when we went to paris on art college for a few days you didn't go and look at uh, the louvre you went to the parc de france and you looked at the architecture foreground <laughs> 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 so you could write an essay on amazing kind of you know concrete structure with a motorway going on it so so to me it's football's a way into so many different interesting uh other you know aspects of 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 education in a way so if 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 a a a young you know a young youngster loves football but isn't that into history isn't that into kind of education in general if they pick up this book and see football club badges they recognize and then go blan what's why yeah why is there what's that elephant about or what's that image coming alive what's that what's that telling me and then they get that connection because it's that's what we're trying to do. We're making those connections between your football club and what its badge stands for, and something really important that's happened in this country during the last few, you know, million years or so. And um, that's what it's it's got to be. Yeah, it's got to be fun. It's got to make that connection, and it's got to you know, and even you know any anybody of any age can look at it and be given a different angle of something which they might know something about but it just brings a different kind of element of uh, understanding to it I think and that's been the yeah that was a big part of what we set out to achieve and uh, yeah I think it's um, doing something like that. What always amazes me is I'm now of an age where I know lots of friends with grandchildren and they all complain about you know a present They've looked in the football section. There's nothing for kids other than sticker books, that sort of thing. That's true. And the no, not one person said to me, what on earth are you doing that for? Um, they all say, oh, we Jimmy love this. You know, that's my Christmas sorted. So it gave us the confidence to think that, well, maybe there is a market for it. That's an interesting point. It actually ties in one of the notes I've made to myself because what I really like about this book, it, I think it's the point you've made there that it, it isn't a com- it isn't about the commercialization of the game that we see every everywhere. This this actually, I'm just looking at the Richard the First Coeur de Leon and his three lions on his shield in his particular case. Um, you know, this 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 tells you the it teaches something of the history. I mean, obviously, you, if you wanted to read further, you would go on from this yeah. this book. There's there's more to be to be delved into on on all of these these particular um, images and clubs. But you know, it, it it's about the roots of the game, and I think that's that's fantastic because that's what we that's what we like. Neil, you wanted to come in. Yeah, well, I was just going to pick up on the roots of the game and the commercialization because now you find 
that clubs can't copyright their old badges. Oh, don't. I know. <laughs> so, so they're becoming more corporate in them and they're trying to... Yeah. Yeah, well, I think our club, Millwall, Nick, they've yeah. gone through various stages because they can't copyright things. A roaring lion, that's right. It's... Yeah, that's right. So because... They, and it leaves it open to your pirate, uh, your pirate merchandise, doesn't it? So how yeah. do you find... How do you find researching more modern badges? Because they must be an absolute nightmare. The big clubs are the nightmare. I bet. Um, because they've all done deals with the likes of Getty Images. Um, so you can't get near them. But that was a neat way around it by using an illustrator that, according to our publishers, should cover us for copyright <laughs> because they can't say it's their badge. But I must admit, as a private individual and a lifelong Party Thistle supporter, I will own up to my sins. Um, I was quite appalled at how commercial football has become. It's a money game, and I think it's lost just looking at the history of football, it's lost a huge amount of tradition and heritage. And you see that in fans' reaction to badges, um, particularly when we were working on the previous book, we went you know, onto various fan sites uh, and they all turned down the owner's great new branding because they wanted heritage. It's an interesting it's an interesting point. And just going back to your commercialization thing there, Elspeth, I'm just looking at the the two the two big Manchester clubs. There are others, of course, but like City and, and, and United, you know, um, if they're gonna get picky about people picking up on their badge, they've 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 nicked their their original arms from the city of Manchester, haven't they? They've, Absolutely. They've, <laughs> and they're very similar <laughs> as badges. They've both got the ship. Yeah, that's right. They've both got a ship and, and a striped motif and, and you know yeah. it comes from the original city of Manchester. It does indeed. Yeah. One time didn't Manchester United have a red devil on the badge or something holding up a staff or yeah. some description. Yeah, you see, I think I may be wrong, but that's a case in point that the fans didn't like that, so they wanted the ship back. Manchester um, Ship Canal, of course, being the... Uh, yeah, the, and there's a huge the debate within the club as to whether it's the ship canal that they're illustrating or the fact that, you know, sailing ships went off to America with cotton. Yeah. Do you have to be quite careful when you read things like that, not to take one side or another? Because I guess yeah. if you're trying to interpret something, yeah, well, I write a lot about history and it's so easy to upset people. Oh, don't. By, Particularly at the moment. By actually going down the wrong path yeah. and what you think is correct, unless you've got oodles and oodles of uh, evidence to back it up, you'll be... Yeah, but you might as well stay off social media. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I get round it because, as I say, I do a lot of work professionally in Ireland and they're great storytellers. So all you need to do is to say something like, according to tradition, or it is said that, and you're home and dry. Um, <laughs> somebody somewhere will have said it before you. But yes, with football... I mean, I found reading some of the fan sites interesting for their spin on things, but I never took them as 
gospel. There are some great, as you will know more than I do, some great club historians who really have gone through the evidence like a fine tooth comb, and they I will deeply use and respect. So what clubs have you found, what clubs did you find differed, your myth from what you found, if you like? Mm. Who's the guy in Bradford City? That was the actual previous book. Can you remember, Martin? He was a really good historian. Uh, John Dewhurst, yeah. That's it, yeah. I think, yeah, as you touched on, there's most club historians are fans who know more yeah. about the club than the club do themselves, you know? Um, and they're, you know, over the years of people that we've we've spoken to are the historians and they are fans and they are... Also they're great. ...and all the rest of it. So I first started writing about football club badges from a university dissertation nearly 30 years ago and and I would write to to clubs and ask them what they knew about their badges and some would come back and say we we don't know <laughs> we don't know what it we know what we know what it is but we're not sure how it came about or whatever so I think I think now I think I think there is a more awareness of of a of the badge of its history yep. and when yep. when clubs are rebranding as such you know they are putting more Onus on understanding the history, on on connecting with fans and getting them involved in the process. And some a club like um, Eastleigh, for example, you know, previously they'd used like many clubs used the town coat of arms, yeah. and that symbolised the town, but doesn't say much about the club. So when that when they were rebranded just a few years ago, they looked at what the the history of the the, the town was, the history of the club, and their nickname was the Spitfires. And it's a Spitfire that has now ended up on the club badge. And that gives them something unique. It gives them something very, very um, obviously sets them apart from, yeah. from other teams and something that's really, you know, really relevant and means a lot to, to the fans and the, the, the club yeah. and the town. So, and it's been beautifully done. So it's a nice example of clubs having a rethink, you know, in this digital age, badges are getting... Uh, uh, more simplified to be able to be used much, much smaller. So really elaborate town coat of arms are tending to be mm -hmm. um, revised and simplified. And uh, Brentford's a good example of that, of, of taking a complex badge three or four years ago and it, then deciding on the one icon that means the most to that, to that team and that's the B. So they, you know, they, they made a, you know, a revised badge which featured just the B which harked back to the supporters club badge of the 1960s. So that was kind of a nice way of getting the supporters on, involved or, and feeling yep. included. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's much more awareness now. I mean, if you look at the Swindon town badge of the kind of mid nineties, it was just, you know, it was an S with a football. And the, the, the response I got back from Swindon all those years ago was, yeah, apparently the designer said it's, it symbolizes a football and it's a, di a diamond symbolizes a football pitch. Thank you. Goodbye. I'd like to know how much you got paid for that. that, that. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, well, that was I'm, my initial thought. Yeah, well, somebody was on a nice drink for that. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted a nice, easy afternoon, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, I think the 90s, I think that was, there was definitely a phase where it was a bit, we want a, a nice, simple, we wanted a logo. We wanted yeah. a nice logo in the 90s. It doesn't have to mean much, but then go back to the 70s and that we one that we do feature in the book and I love that badge and it is one of the fans favourites is the Leeds United Smiley. 
Oh, the Don Revy. Favorite era. football yeah. badge of all time. Yeah, that absolutely. really is my favorite football badge of all time. Yeah, it, it just symbolizes well, quite a good <laughs> movement. Really. What <laughs> does it symbolize, Neil? It, it's yeah, like the old acid house mutant. Funny, isn't it? Because it doesn't mean anything to the club. It's just the initials of the club making a a, a nice chunky LU, you mm-hmm. know, making a yep. smiley face. So. And that is love. So it's a, that's a real oddity in itself. But it, you put it on a on a page and you illustrate it on a denim jacket like we've done, yeah. and it, it looks beautiful and and quite right. So and um, there's no there's no white rose of Yorkshire. There's no uh, you know there's, <laughs> yeah, there's no clutter. There. Yeah, well, that's tr- one badge I think from back in history. If you were to put absolutely no wording on it. And you were just to show people that badge, they mm. would know immediately what club it was from. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, from that era, it is absolutely iconic. And it's not dated either. No, 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 no. it takes um, you straight to a time and a place, doesn't it? But it's I think unique. in the nineties they rather lost their way. There was big turnover of owners, and all these branding guys came up with, you know pound signs coming out the tops of their heads and they <laughs> sold them the idea of a modern brand and the fans hated it and they all had to go back to heritage whereas one of the badges i really like is alfreton in the derbyshire yes um, where they've gone for king alfred and they've just okay. done a very modern lovely face of a king and the fans like it presumably the owners liked it and it's simple and it's modern and it's clean and it's good design i was just admiring your maybe i don't know if it was, a, it was a diplomatic minefield that you walked through to do the arsenal page um, oh yes <laughs> because i would imagine that arsenal spent a fortune on redesigning their badge a few years ago i know that yeah came up with a very bland looking thing that's yeah. a, a cannon basically but the, the page that uh, is in the book, listeners, features a really nice Napoleonic era battle scene with a, a proper cannon of that of that era. With two, uh, well, one's a badge from nineteen thirty, Elspeth, isn't it? That's that's a mm-hmm. kind of um, old school nineteen thirty Cup final badge there, and the Borough of Woolwich. And I've actually been into Woolwich Town Hall, and I remember seeing the three cannons as kind of a stained glass in Woolwich Town yeah. Hall, yeah. which was on the on the main kind of entrance area. But no modern badge, so well done. <laughs> you got no, Arsenal are one of those who are very jealous of. Them. I bet they were. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they were. <laughs> so another that... badge I quite liked was actually the Bristol Rovers badge. Yes, I wasn't aware that actually Blackbeard was born in Bristol. Was he? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't. Even know until that. I read your PDF and. Yep. Yeah, but that you kindly sent through to us. And it's just amazing what history a badge can actually show if you actually take the time. Exactly. To actually, yeah, well, just to actually look at a badge mm-hmm. and to interpret the little bits around it, I think. And he's just, an amazing character. Sorry, Nick, I was just going to say, he's, you know, there's been different interpretations of his face over the years. So just, just to, to have him there filling that page is a really... Mm. The real character, you know, so... Um, well, yeah. it could have been Colston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine that? Yeah, you'd have a load of lefties burning your book as soon as... Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to maybe close this, I don't know, but um, just praise the, the section on the First World War and, and then it links in with the Second World War with the um, 
Eastley that you mentioned earlier on, yeah. Martin. But I just wanted to say well done, really, because I think it's just nicely nicely put together. You've got Walter Toll, the, who was a, a, um, one of the first black professional players. And I think, if I remember rightly, he achieved the rank of captain. But in this piece here, you've got him with wearing a military cross that he was denied in yeah. in reality. And I thought that was a really... That was a nice touch that was really marking. Nice touch, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Um, so well done with that. And then, of course, there's a, there's a, a tribute to the late Orient, um, or Clapton Orient, yeah. I suppose they were then. And Hearts. Uh, and, and Heart of Midlovian. Um, and, the, and the Second World War piece with Coventry and, and then obviously with the Eastley that we've mentioned. I just think it was nicely, nicely put together. The whole book is wonderful stuff. I, I mean, I, I would say, Martin, this is pitched at um, a younger audience than, than The Beautiful Badge would be. Would that be a fair comment, do you think? I think so, yes. I mean, we try not to pin it down to a certain age, yeah. but certainly making it, it, it's more in format. It's not a big coffee table book. It's lovely just to pick up, you know, mm-hmm. and it is engaging. It's really visual and it's digestible. The chunks of text are, you know, uh, there's lots of the, there's lots of information there, but it's done at, at a nice kind of pace and, and nicely organised. So, yeah, I mean, we just think, you know, from young fans, you know, it would be lovely to have to get youngsters involved reading. I mean, even, you know, as part of the whole process, we engage with a, a couple of schools and they did a competition to for their uh, pupils to design football club badges and we have a couple of spreads at the end where which yeah. feature their own designs we just thought that was a lovely thing to get kids thinking about you know if it redesign the team that you support or create a new team what would your badge look like why would it look like it does you know and that's that was all part of it. So any way of engaging kind of the younger or the younger fans, the younger audience, yeah, that's that's um, that's, that's. And also cool. for each badge featured, there's a little, you know, go and see such and such a thing. Really nice idea. Yeah. Mm. A wacky fact. Um, so there's something to do always, which Absolutely. is very much designed for kids. Really good. Neil, you wanted to, to say something? Yeah, well, I once wrote a book, uh, Where Are They Now book, that was described as ideal bog-reading material. <laughs> and I would actually say that your book actually falls into that category. Yes, <laughs> I think you're right. It's a, it's a dipper rather than a straight-through read. Depends how long you're going to be sat down for, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if you want something... To read on the bar. I'm sorry. Yeah, publishing one and nick this idea, feel free. But it is ideal bog reading material just to have by the side of the toilet. Perhaps then to leave some toilet paper in the book. (laughs) But I want to ask you actually, yeah, with that aside and being more serious, what is your favourite badge in the whole book and why? Mm. That's a good question. Ooh, well, I know I've, what mine is, but Martin, Martin's our guest. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at, um, uh, at Coventry. Um, because Coventry's a nice I, one. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even realise that the Phoenix was in the Coventry badge. So, I mean, we've, you know, we've looked, researched and written about badges for some time. And we were looking at what symbolises the Second World War. What, what can we feature? I and mean, we're looking at phoenixes and, and older shots of phoenix because of the, the club has arisen in the early 90s and then we discovered that oh god yeah there's one in in the coventry badge so, uh, we found out something new and it just the, the cathedral is still there you know you can it's a, 
so the badges in the image, the badges there in the cathedral, it's got the, you know, the, the, the phoenix rising from the flames and we're showing you the cathedral as it was that night, but it's a place you can go and visit now and as Elspeth just touched upon, to have places where you can go and visit and have that physical connection with an element of the badge is such a nice thing to have as well. So, um, yeah, I'd say- I like the Lincoln in And interestingly, Coventry as a city has very much adopted the Phoenix. I think the university use mm. it. Yeah. If you cancel, use it, I think. And a lot of football clubs use it in a very different context if they are a Phoenix club. Yeah. Um, so it's quite nice to play in that. What's yours, Nick? Have you got a favourite? Well, I, I love the Eastleigh badge, um, the, the the Spitfire. I just think it's very evocative. I notice it's actually the final, it's the back, the back yeah. um, flap of, of the book. But I actually learned in a similar way to, to your um, description of the Coventry's badge, uh, Martin, I, I actually learned, and I've never connected it, Chesterfield's badge with its mm. kind of swirl, as I thought it was. Is the twisted spire of Chesterfield? Yeah, I didn't connect yeah. that, and so I, I have learned something <laughs> 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 for which I thank you both because that's that's that was something I just didn't didn't put the two together, um, and I, I quite like it as a design as well. It's um it's a, it's a nice it's a nice little modern stadium. It's a nice trip, Chesterfield. I, I like it. So that's that's I'm going to choose the Chesterfield one. What about you, Neil, to close us? Uh, the Leeds United badge, the pop art one from the 1970s, that just to me is probably the most... 24-hour party person you are, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, well, you've only said that because I tweeted earlier that I'm buzzing all day. I've actually come down a little bit. Yeah, well, that badge is just iconic. I just think automatically it makes you smile, that badge, mm -hmm. and it just makes you think and it just takes you back to... Yeah, and football was a lot better and a lot less commercial. And you just look at that badge, and you can't help but think whoever, yeah, whoever decided that as a badge was absolutely tripping. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> so the question arises: Where can you get this book, listeners? And I found it on Amazon. I think we all need to support Jeff Bezos and his space flight. Um, he, he needs to do another one, and maybe maybe go further next time. I don't know. Um, but it's on Amazon, Martin. I mean, is yeah, it's it, on. Is, it's an, it's available in uh, you know independent books. Independent. Shops. That's what I'm yeah. searching for. I mean, yeah. Waterstones, all the big ones, but definitely independent bookshops. If they don't have it in stock, they can certainly order it, or even online now you can. You know, they've got a lot of independent bookshops that come together so that you can order yeah. through them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's actually published by Pitch Publishing, and is it available mm -hmm. from August the sixteenth? Sixteenth, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. just—that was the screenshot yeah. I found earlier on. It's called the Beautiful History: Football Clubs Telling the the Story of Britain. Um, it's by Martin Routledge and Elspeth Wills, both of whom have been wonderful guests on the Football History Podcast. Thank you both for giving up your time today. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, both. It's been great thank fun. You. Thank you, Martin. Yes, thank you. Nice, nice to meet. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Thank you. There we go, Neil. That was, <laughs> that was a fascinating conversation, wasn't it? I think that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Mate, that was a brilliant half hour or, or however long it was, and... Just to have two, Elspeth is a serious historian. She knows that she's a proper historian. A yeah, historian. But this is <laughs> this is actually top table. Knows her <laughs> stuff, and I didn't want to say too much because I was too far. I've been completely embarrassing myself. Well, me neither. I feel like the bloke can do a couple of keepy uppies that meets Diego Maradona and say, "Oh, I can play the ball soon, Diego." You know. Um, she no, she she is a proper historian, listeners, and it was a fascinating conversation. The book, um, I recommend it. It's, it. I think it's a um, it's an introduction to history, um, but with some wonderful artwork in there. I think really, it's it really does give you a chance to dip in and learn more about the the images that we just take for granted at times. Mate, I said, yeah, well, I said to Martin and Elspeth, and hopefully you don't edit it out, that it is actually ideal bog-reading material. It, <laughs> this is the kind of book that you can put by the side of the bog and <laughs> and you can just pick it up, read a couple of pages, absorb, and then, which is probably the wrong word to use. Yeah, actually. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to leave it market. in because I want to find out as a marketing strategy whether that works or not. They'll tell us if they sold more as a result <laughs> of the Neil Fissler imagery of toilets and, and reading material. But it's, it's a great book, and um, we will stick links on there. And as, as um, Martin said, um, if you can use an independent bookseller, please do. Um, Amazon dominates the world. It doesn't need any more help from us. Um, help your local bookshop, I think. Um, yeah, no, well, Bezos might go a bit skint now after his latest space trip. Maybe he'll go to um, the asteroid belt and get lost out there and not come back. Um, I'm just <clears> loving this quote. It's a Bill Shankly quote. You can never go wrong with a Bill Shankly quote. I'm just looking at the, the, the book to close us. Um, he's speaking on uh, Celtic's great manager, Jock Steen. He said, we both started our careers mining for coal. Back in the days when we had a coal mining industry. And we both came up with silver, not coal. Um, very true. Very true indeed. Um, Neil, it, we are in the Olympic Games period as we record this. Are you a fan of the Olympics? Do you like the Olympics? Is it, is it your thing? I like certain sports actually. I'm I'm completely addicted to the Olympic boxing. I love that. Yeah. What's well we're recording on what Wednesday and I watched the Great Britain's Olympic uh, sevens rugby. Yep. Fine uh 
bronze medal match this morning. I pick and choose. The great thing about the Olympics is I think you can dip in and out of sports that you wouldn't necessarily watch. I found myself really watching the women's triathlon the other night. Okay. It's a middle of a bloody night and you're watching people just swim, cycle and run around this track for like two, three hours. And you, know, you get into it, I think. I think there's a few sports in there that shouldn't be in there skateboarding being well, I was one. just going to mention because I, I find that um, the, the obscure sports appeal to the male expert that lives in every man in the heart of the beast of every man you're an expert as soon as you clap eyes on a sport so I'm sitting there watching the skateboarding championship which is urban skateboarding the other night I think the young um, was it the Brazilian girl that won it I think um, very young 13, 14. Yeah, we've got a 12 year old representing us, haven't we? Sky, somebody or other? That's, that's right. Um, and I've, I, if I, I've only ever stood on a skateboard once or twice, listeners, and I fell off it both times. So, but somehow you find yourself coming, oh, she's got that leap onto the onto the handrail wrong there, or she's missed out that bit there. <laughs> like I know one end of a skateboard from another. Um, but the reason I mentioned the Olympics is I wanted to uh, mention the Cinderella of Olympic sports, really, which is football. Um, it's never been loved at the Olympics, has it, Neil? No, but it, but I think it's a staple of it. I don't know why. I think. Oh, no, right. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, yeah, well, I think partly in this country it's because we've not entered a team since the seventies. No. Uh, apart from. 2012. We had a very wishy-washy 11 at 2012 featuring kind of lower championship League One and Ryan Giggs past his prime. And, you know, I don't know why we bothered with that team. But um, yeah, I think it's because we were the host nation. But I think, but I actually think traditionally they don't want to send a Great Britain team to most Olympics because they're frightened that it will mean that FIFA will say, well, you don't need... England, Ireland, or Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. So the argument for a great representative United Kingdom side, well, I don't know how that fits in with in current politics. Yeah, but that's despite know. the fact that the yeah that every country fragments or fragments anyway and becomes a member of FIFA. I, yeah, well, I just think it, yeah, well, I just think it's vested interest and laziness as to why we don't enter a team. But I mean, vested interest is a good. A good link, actually, if you're reading on the the story of the Olympic football tournament, which does feature, I think it was only 1932 and one other um, early early Olympic games where football hasn't featured. It's featured at almost every, pretty much every single Olympic games, although always as a kind of um, FIFA, the the world governing body, don't want a competitor to their their World Cup cash machine, so they've always got in the way of the Olympic uh, tournament somehow with various rules and regs, Neil. Yeah, but I think it has to be, is it? Yeah, but does it have to be an under-20? Under-23s with... Under-23. couple of overage players, too, I think. Yeah, which which is in stark contrast to basketball, where I think, didn't the US put out the US... The the dream team, team, wasn't it? Yeah. Jordan and all of that lot in it, and they just wiped everybody else off the face of the earth and you know, in true American style, really. <laughs> Team America, world police. Um, but I, I, re- I mentioned the Olympic Games because the, the football tournament is ongoing. Um, you wouldn't know it. I mean, I, I've not paid it an awful lot of attention and I, I, I probably won't. I mean, the athletics would be when it really begins in, in many respects for me. But I was intrigued by the 1908 Olympic Games, now, which were held in London. And I just thought I'd mention it just to close our show 
today because um, the story of Olympic football has always been one of this. Is it disinterest or uninterest? I can never remember which way around it goes. A lack of interest, probably a better way to put it. And this is nothing new because the the first uh, well, one, the, the first official Olympic tour, football tournament was held at the White City in 1908. And um, oddly, given that the games were a summertime event, the the football event was played in October, some way after the the Olympic tournament itself. And disinterest doesn't quite do it justice because I mean the crowds were appalling. Two thousand people turned out to watch. Um, the first round game between Denmark and France B, France fielded two, two sides and didn't win it. They got beat 9-0 and the score lines there were incredible. 12-1 to Great Britain against Sweden. There's some incredible score lines in the tournament. Yeah, but no wonder people weren't interested. It was like, yeah, but I think you had teams pulling out, I think. Uh... French team withdrew. Um, Hungary withdrew because of the Bosnian crisis, apparently. Um, France were drawn against Bohemia, um, which is now, I think, the Czech Republic, largely speaking. But they they had their FIFA membership withdrawn. This was the, the kind of ferment of um, Central European politics of the time. But I love this semi-final. Both semi-finals were played on the same day, listeners, at White City Stadium. Um, 1,000 people turned out. You get more at Welling United than you do for the semi-final played between Denmark and France. And this is not a rugby score, Neil. It's not a cricket score. It's, it's a football score. It's 17 to Denmark, one goal to France, 17-1. Yeah, and if I call, I think, Sophus Nilsson, I'm probably pronouncing that totally wrong, actually scored 10 goals. 10 goals. Like, yeah, we beat the great Joe Payne and his nine. And, uh, yeah, so 10 goals for, for, for Nielsen. Uh, Wolfhagen got four, which would normally be a standout score, and it'd get four goals in the yeah. semi final. You have a hat trick in six in, you have in the first six minutes. <laughs> yeah, but now in baseball, they have mercy rule. Don't mercy rule. That's what they needed there, didn't they? Yeah, uh, whereas if you're a few goals behind, 17 goals to one. You can imagine. But the, I mean, the, the, write an hundred word report on that. Couldn't you? Well, I mean, the press were dismissive of the whole tournament, and Great Britain would win it um, in, in in the final. I think we beat Denmark two nil, and Denmark won the stronger sides. This would have been an amateur tournament, Neil, back then, and there was a slight crossover back in those times between the professional game and some had played for for professional clubs as amateurs in in the, in the Great British side. But um, the the London Daily News dated the 24th of October 1908, um, speaking about the final between the United Kingdom. Although sometimes they they lapse, Neil, and they call it England rather than United (laughs) Kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, that's the way it should be. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's before anybody tries to cancel. That was a joke. The United Kingdom 11, it says, had soundly defeated Sweden and Holland. And getting ready for Denmark this afternoon it is, of course, fairly representative of the English amateur football scene. They say, um, played under the jurisdiction of the of the FA, that the strength of our side was as as poor. They they, they rated the UK, the Great Britain side, as a poor eleven, and the whole tournament as um, drab, apathetic of the uh, apathy of the public. So there's nothing new, Neil, is there? I mean, the the um, the Olympic football has never really caught the imagination in this country, and it seems it had a it had a from the very start, it's never exactly um, moved moved the earth under your feet, you know. Yeah, no, but there were one or two very good players in that side. There was Harold Hardman, yep. who was actually Manchester United chairman at the, yeah, at the time of the Munich air disaster. Yeah. 
and there was the great Vivian Woodward, who, not to be confused by the Millwall player Vivian Woodward, this guy was, I don't know, do you, yeah, would you describe him as the Lionel Messi or the Cristiano Ronaldo of his day? This okay. guy was one of the early, early superstars of football. You have an architect, chiefly played for Tottenham and uh, Chelsea. Chelsea, I, I see, yeah. Um, yeah, I think he got Spurs' first goal in the Football League. And this guy, there was a book written about him, and it is well worth reading if you can get a copy of it. Injured, was, injured during the First World War, I see, as well, part of the Footballers' Battalion that took part in the in the conflict. Yeah, yeah. Well, interestingly, yeah, but he had that kind of amateur values of the game that he was released, I think, from the army to play in the 1915 FA Cup final. <laughs> but because a guy called Bob Thompson, who he was picked to replace had recovered, he refused to play in the game because he hadn't played in any of the other games. You can imagine now that footballers would just be. Yeah, okay, I'm playing. Yeah, there'd, <laughs> yeah, there'd be none of this romantic nostalgia in their mind, would there? No, I mean, respite from the trenches, you would have thought you'd take every chance you can to to get some time away from it all. But, um, you know, given given the, uh, the the nature of the conflict then, but clearly that these were different different times. He was injured in, in the um, conflict and did not return to top-class football post-war, but um, played for England national side and the England amateur side. As well as football league eleven, I see there as well in his international honours. Yeah, well, I think what what really killed Olympic football, as far as we were concerned, I think it was nineteen seventy the last time that we took part, and I think we lost a playoff game to Bulgaria at Wembley. Mm. But then amateur football, I think, was abolished three or four years later in this country. I do remember um, the um, in the days of the Eastern Bloc and the Cold War, and and, yeah. um, and they were still amateur. Well, they were officially yeah, amateur. They were, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, even though they were amateur in brackets, I know yeah. they were all uh, soldiers and things like that. And they had factory sides that were professional outfits and all but name. Yeah. Um, that was the system in East, East Germany and Bulgaria, Soviet Union at the time. Um, I've, I've picked out one of the Danish players, if I may, Neil, from that final. Um, only one that really struck me as, as, as a kind of a, a perhaps a, a noteworthy, I don't know, one Harold... Boer, I don't know if that's how you pronounce B O H R, um, leading mathematician and Danish footballer. Um, he was apparently um, he worked. He founded the field of. If anyone knows what an almost periodic function is, then do email us because I've not got a clue what that is. I've heard of the periodic table, but I don't know what an almost one is. Yeah, well, we should have asked Elspeth. She, yeah, she, probably, <laughs> yeah, she probably knows the complete history of it. To be honest, it's a, it's a different field. <laughs> history isn't it he worked in mathematical analysis founding the field of almost periodic functions what's that what is that and he worked with a cambridge mathematician um, and he also played for the danish uh, olympic national side in that so he was a silver medalist basically along with his teammates from that 1908 and that's classed as the very first formal football tournament under the olympic flag um, and what the first one recognised by FIFA as a as a full tournament, Harold August Bohr, eighteen eighty seven to nineteen fifty one. Um, and yeah, apparently... I think we dominated the first two, Nick. I think we actually won in nineteen twelve as yeah. well. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, looking at the quality of some of the games there. I mean, when you get any game, no matter what your level, if you're winning anything seventeen to one, as the Danes beat um, 
beat their opponents there in the semi. I mean, you've got to question the uh, the quality of the of the of the spectacle. I think that's probably the best way we can put it. Yeah, I think a lot of our players were playing in the football league, so yeah. they were good. They were good players, and I think Woodward actually was capped as an amateur and as a yeah, well, and a full England cap. So and yeah, they didn't give those caps away. Yeah, well, like they do no. now. Did they? No, 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 they were a different level, weren't they? I love this bit, Neil. I mean, the, the, there was Denmark 17, France 1 in that semi-final. And it's a wiki say the French were so shocked by that 17-1 drubbing, they declined to play the bronze medal game. So the Netherlands played Sweden instead for the bronze medal. They, they didn't want to play anymore. Yeah, well, that's why we call them surrender monkeys. <laughs> Very good reason. I think that's a moment to draw the uh, the second edition of the Football History Podcast to a close. Big thank you to Neil Fischler for joining me once again. Thank you, Neil. Cheers, Nick. We're going we're gonna to cook up some ideas for our third edition. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. Um, we, we have an email address. I'll put that in the, um, in the show notes when it goes out. If you have any ideas, suggestions or thoughts or anything you like, or corrections, I suppose, do get in touch with us. We want to hear from you. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this one, Neil. I've got a blinding idea for next month. I'll tell you when you finish right. record, although I have told you we'll previously. It's going to be a sensational idea. Sensational. I'm going to look forward to that one. Until then, dear listeners, many, many thanks from Neil and myself. It's bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.